everybody. I want to talk to you today on the topic of altitude sickness. And if you have a notebook or you're taking notes, write that down as the title of the message. And Matthew 17 verse 4 is going to be our main body of text that we're going to be reading. But I want to talk to you today on the, on the topic of altitude sickness. And we're a few weeks out from, you know, having met with God at camp and been on a journey together where we ascended a mountain, so to speak, and met with Him. And I want to talk to us today about the nature of coming back down the mountain and getting back into the normal swing of things, the normal rhythm, the normal um, ins and outs of our daily life. And uh, Father, we just pray, God, that you would bless this time, bless this sermon, bless our church service today, God, as we come to you, believing that you would speak, that you would move in our lives. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Mount Everest is the highest peak on the earth. It stretches almost 9,000 meters from the face of the planet into the heavens. It's a remarkable sight. Since the great Sir Edmund Hillary scaled the mountain in 1953, an additional 4,000 people, they say, have scaled and climbed that mountaintop. We celebrate those conquerors. We celebrate those who climb. But there's another side of climbing that's less glamorous, another side of it that's not so favorable, and that is the injuries and sometimes even the deaths. The treachery of climbing is well documented. In fact, one of the causes of death is what we call altitude sickness. Altitude sickness is an issue that is caused by climbing too high, too quick, and without rest. For those climbers in that thin mountain air at altitude near the top can prove fatal, and they can die mostly because of a lack of oxygen. Altitude sickness has symptoms, and they range. They say it's like being hungover or by looking at someone who's hungover. They can't walk straight. They're nauseous. They're dizzy. They have headaches. It can be less amusing, though, when the fluid from altitude sickness begins to leak into the brain, into the lungs. The simple lesson is, is that when it comes to climbing, there is danger involved. The simple lesson that I'm about to share with us actually is a lesson that I learned and I stole from Ben Hokenfurs, and that is simply this. We are not destined to stay atop the mountain. We are not made for it. We are made to live at sea level, not to live in those high and lofty places. Matthew 17 verse 4 talks about a mountain experience. It talks about a mountain experience with Jesus, where the disciples, and particularly here today we want to talk about Peter, has an experience atop a mountain. And we call the mountain the Mount of Transfiguration. And Peter says this, he said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Isn't that what we all think? That it's good for us to live in the highs. It's good, they're better than the valleys. It's good for us to live on the mountain. It's good for us to live in a place of encounter. He says, if you wish, in other words, if it's your so desire, I will put up three shelters. We heard Justice talk about the correlation between the tent of meeting and these three tents or these three shelters that Peter wants to put up. He says, let me put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Jesus, let me put up three tents, like one for you, like Moses is here, and Elijah, and, and, and let's stay here atop this mountain. I, I love Peter, because Peter is us. He has the right idea. Uh, he wants to bottle it up. He wants to keep the moment. He wants to stay in that space. 
We not only want to stay up the mountain, but we also want to keep God up there with us. Forgetting, of course, that God is omnipresent, that He's everywhere. But we want to stay in those moments. He's more interested, though, I think, in traveling back down the mountain with us through wisdom, learnings, experiences. And this is precisely, I think, what we would do. I think if we were honest with ourselves, we would all be up the mountain, and we have been up the mountain, hoping to keep God there with us. We spend so much time anticipating the moment, don't we? The time that we spend anticipating the moment is spent wanting to linger in that space when we get there, and we do not want to let it go. Building up for a music festival, a vacation, a special birthday, an anniversary, a special moment in our lives that we've been planning for some time. Not an accidental or a moment that just happened off the cuff, but something you've been believing for, looking for, hoping for. We don't want to let it go. And like Peter, we want to set up a shelter and stay there atop the mountain with Jesus and the prophets. When I, was, uh, when I left home, I was at university and, and I, went, I, I moved into a, a home, a flat with some of my friends. And the, the home that we lived in was called Hobart Street. The street was called Hobart Street. And so we named the, the house Hobart. That was it. We were known as the Hobart Boys. And we had a phrase that Hobart is not a location, but a lifestyle. It's not a location, we would say. It's not a location, it's a lifestyle. That if you want to be one of the Hobart Boys, you want to come around and kick it with us, watch the game, have some pizza, that it's not a location, it's a lifestyle. The challenge is, is that for us, the challenge of the third place, the challenge of that, that other space where we meet with God. Everyone has home, everyone has work, but what about that third place? The challenge of that is that it's got nothing to do with a physical location, that it's not a location, it's a lifestyle, that it's got everything to do with new rhythms, new paradigms, friends, new wineskin, a new way of believing that God will continue to move in our lives. We cannot stay up the mountain. And that was the lesson that Peter learned that day. We need to descend, lest we fall victim, friends, to altitude sickness. We're not meant for the lofty heights of the mountain. We are meant to train, to climb, but then when the time is right, friends, we are meant to come back down. Deuteronomy says in Deuteronomy 1, verse 6, the Lord our God said to us at Horeb, you have stayed at this mountain long enough. This is brilliant because this is God speaking to Moses in Deuteronomy, but it's Moses who was also on the Mount of Transfiguration in the book of Matthew 17. And God speaks to Moses and he says, you've stayed at this mountain long enough. In other words, Moses, you've been up here with me. You've been high. You've been at altitude for too long. It's time for you to move on. And in verse seven, he says, break camp and advance. The part of the story that doesn't seem to make sense is that the mountain is significant, isn't it? We pine for the mountain. We look to the mountain. The mountain is a place of meeting with God. It's where God spoke to Moses through the burning bush. It's where God gave the Moses the Ten Commandments. It's where the water came from the rock. It's where Elijah visits. Horeb was called, this, this same mountain is called the mountain of God. In other words, it was a great place to be. But understand this, that the lesson that God is trying to teach us today is simple. We need to get moving again to move on from here, to believe for more, to believe for greater, to believe for a new measure. Moving on is not only inevitable, but moving on is God's plan, that he wants his people to break camp and advance. 
In the Old Testament, there are long lists of furniture described in the tent of meeting, in the tabernacle, and in the temple. In Solomon's colonnade, there's, there's, all, there's so much description about the chairs and the candelabras and the Ark of the Covenant and even the description of the, the cubits and the weight and the size and the material and the cloth. There's so much description about furniture. But in the, te- in the tent of meeting, in the tabernacle, and in God's temple, you will not find one thing. And let me tell you what that is. You will not find anywhere in the Scriptures a bed. You won't find it. Because God's meeting place is not meant to be a place where we fall asleep and stay. God's meeting place is always moving. It's a place where we follow Him, have an encounter with God, but we must descend and get back into our normal rhythms of our daily life. In other words, in God's temple, in the meeting, and atop the mountain, there is nowhere for us to sleep because we are not meant to stay. We're not meant to stay atop the mountain. We can't handle the altitude. I don't need to give you a ton of reasons why, but here's just a couple. Who was physically exhausted the day after camp? Here's another. Who was elated but emotionally spent? The reason why I say these things is because we need to understand that we can't live at that space, at that degree of intensity for that long. We must come down. We can't live like that every single day. As difficult as it is, though, to scale Mount Everest, a new study has shown that whilst altitude sickness is one of the causes of death in climbers, because we're not meant to stay atop the mountain, a new study has shown that coming back down the mountain is far more deadly. Altitude sickness is something that we need to look out for, but descending the mountain can be far more deadly. Of the 212 deaths between 1921 and 2006, 56% of them succumbed to death on their descent. This was after they'd scaled the mountaintop, been to the peak, reached into the heavens 8,000 meters above sea level. Just 15% of people died on the way up, but over half died on the way back down. But like most things in life, there are simple solutions. On the way back down, you make sure you get rest, you stay warm, you keep your fluids up. And they say for blood flow, they recommend garlic and cloves. Isn't that so funny? A life-threatening issue solved by garlic. The training is hard. The symptoms are real. But the cure, my friends, is simple. Isn't that a reflection of what happened to us over the last couple of months? The training was hard. The symptoms were real. But the cure, my friends, is simple. When we descended back to normal life, many of us have already experienced what it is that I'm talking about. It's the shock of normal life. It's the bills, it's the groceries, it's the issues. Friends, it's the grind. It's families that sent their kids back to school. It's the struggle of waking up your family on Monday morning saying, come on, we've got to get back into the rhythms of our daily life. But like altitude sickness, the cure, my friends, for our careful dissension from coming down the mountain and back into the rhythms of daily life is simple. And if you're taking notes, I just want to give you some simple thoughts today that I think will impact you and me deeply. And the first is this, descend slowly. Descend slowly. Your descent is as important, or friends, based on stats, is maybe even more important than your ascension. That your descent must be done carefully, and friends, understand this, descend slowly. 
slowly. Camp for our church was a monumental experience. We met with God. We made new friends. We were deeply impacted. Our lives would never be the same. It would be a turning point for our church, whether you were present or not. Last Sunday in our physical location here in Ottawa, in this building, church was different. It felt like a different church, but the same. We need to treasure these moments. But now that it's over, let me encourage you today. Go easy on yourself. Can I say that again? Now that it's finished, let me encourage you today. Go easy on yourself. You were, you were elated. You hit the heights. There were waves of God's presence touching people on the altar. People were set free in ministry. People were prayed for. People spoke in tongues for the very first time. There was a manifest sense of God's presence in the room. We touched heaven at that campsite. But now that it's finished, you might not feel spiritual and you feel bad as a result. Go easy on yourself. Descend slowly. Expect that life will be harder. Expect that there'll be challenges. Expect that there will be trials. Expect that there will be obstacles. Why? Because that's what life is all about. The camp is an accumulation of months of training, of prayer, of expectation, friends, of unity. That as we come together, it's a special and unique time. But it's not just special and unique. It's also very rare. And very seldom do we get those moments. So now that it's finished, go easy on yourself. Descend slowly. God called the Israelites away for specific festivals throughout their calendar year. We have weekly rhythms, but moments like this are not often. So as you descend, as you descend from the mountaintop, avoid injury. Avoid disappointments by remembering that your roommates didn't come with you to camp. Avoid disappointments by realizing that your family, your work colleagues weren't there. People don't share the same enthusiasm for your testimony, but that's okay because just by the very nature of the testimony that you have, it's yours and yours alone. Descend slowly. If you're taking notes, write this down. Don't just descend slowly, travel lightly. Whenever we go camping as a family, Nadia always gets us to go on these hiking trips every time. Like it's like a highlight of the camp. When we get to the camp, we set up the tent, we get the food ready, get the coolers, Sort of figure out where the car is going, where's the fresh water supply. Just beautiful. Kids are swimming, everyone's hanging out, great time. Be excellent. And then inevitably Nadia will say, okay, everybody, tomorrow morning we're going on a hike. And she wakes up early and she gets the, um, the thermos ready with coffee or hot chocolate, loads up the backpacks, we've got water, we've got bug spray, we've got everything that we need, and we've got these hikes as a family. She wants our family to be active. She wants our family to have memories. She wants our family to see obstacles and overcome those and be courageous. She wants to climb and explore and do new things. But the one thing I will say about our hikes and our climbs is simply this. The pack is always lighter on the way back down. The pack is always lighter on the way back down. We've eaten all the food. The bottles are empty. And as a result of our trip, our supplies have been expended. But the good news is, is that we're almost home. And just like us, we had expectation and prayer and physical packs of things as we went into the camp. But my prayer for us is this, as we descend slowly, travel lightly. In other words, as climbers, as a climber, your pack is always lighter on the way back down. But after camp, isn't your pack lighter? After camp, aren't you carrying less? I'm hopeful that at this camp, you left some things behind, some anxiety, some shame, some fear, some burden of sin some issues that were in your life, my prayer is that it's at the cross, at that campsite, and you are now traveling lightly as a result of meeting with Jesus. 
I'll never forget these youth camps that I used to run in my 20s and 30s. I'm still in my 30s, by the way. But even if I was in my 40s, whatever, who cares? I'm pumped about it. In my 20s and 30s, I'd run these camps. And at the end of the camp, you know, you do a final camp sweep, a final campsite sweep, just to make sure you haven't broken anything, left things behind, how's the rubbish, all that kind of thing. And I remember always every year doing a campsite sweep or having the team sweep the campsite. And we would find fully set up, still standing, brand new tents with no one in them. No clothes, no sleeping bags, done. The kids who own that tent or the parents who own the tent who bought it for the kids have gone. Caught the bus, they're on their way home. But the tent is fully there, still standing. And so leaders would come say, they'll call me, hey Levi, so we've got these tents, multiple tents, two, three, four, five tents, brand new, nice, good tents. And you know how much they are. And they'll be like, hey, so what do we do? And I was like, well, like, I mean, who, who do they belong to? We need to just like keep an eye out or like notify parents, like, hey, if, you, if, if there's a tent that you own that is not in your house, we've got it. But after a while, these leaders would be like, hey man, no one's reached out about these tents. Do you mind if I like sell it, you know, for a, for a couple of hundred dollars and, and make some coin? And after a while, I was like, yeah, man, like go for it. Those young people have no idea of responsibility. I'm preaching now to the young people. Don't leave a tent still standing at the campsite, take it home. But one of the things I do love about those young people is they understand the concept of leaving everything behind. Leave it all out on the field. I'm going, to, I'm going to this campsite with a tent, with goods and stuff. I'm going to eat all the food. I'm not even bringing the tent home. They, they literally would get home with nothing, not even a backpack. Freedom. Isn't that our prayer for ourselves, that when we leave that camp, we travel lightly, like we are more freer than we've been, maybe even in years. My prayer is that you would leave stuff at the campsite and travel lightly. Sin, heaviness, fear, guilt, shame, anxiety, injury, worry, gone that we would understand the concept of the mighty sense of exchange that takes place at the cross when we meet with God. There used to be this magazine, like a, like a newspaper magazine. Well, it was a new, I suppose it was a newspaper. It was a newspaper called The Trade and Exchange. And it was a newspaper. This is, this is before the days of Kijiji, before the days of eBay. This is back in the 90s. You know, we were, we were real tough. And it was called The Trade and Exchange. And it would, it, you would have things that you could, um, you, know, you could buy in there in sections where you could go, like, I need a car or like some appliances. But there was the section, two sections that I loved. The first was the free section. Brilliant, because you get stuff for free. But the second one was the exchange section. And you would set up rendezvous with people to exchange goods. You would call them up, probably send them a letter, you know. And you could make exchanges for, of your goods with someone else's goods. So I would try and wrangle all kinds of like deals. As a teenager, I'd be like, okay, I'll exchange my Sega Master System for your Nintendo 64 with GoldenEye. My skateboard for your copy of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. My giant box of Lego that I've spent years collecting that I no longer care about because I'm 14 for your Ghetto Blaster that requires 12, 16-volt batteries that I don't have or can't afford to buy. I was making all these kind of exchanges. If you played that game, we start off with a paperclip, and after a month, you've got to see who was able to exchange it to get the most, like, the most brilliant thing. This is what this newspaper was all about. That's what I believe that we did at camp. I believe that at camp, many of us had the, 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 the holy exchange of our bad for his good. That you exchange nightmares for dreams, insomnia for rest, a broken body for a testimony, 
fear for courage, anxiety for peace, bad experiences for good ones, isolation for family, dusty dreams for fresh water, that we exchange weight and burden, and now, friends, understand that we travel lightly. Descend slowly, travel lightly. But if you're taking notes, write this down. Implement learnings. Mm. When a climber gets back to base camp, he tends to review his experience, his gear, his route, how long it took. What are his takeaways? What would he do differently? What would he change next time? For us, I think it's important that we do the exact same thing, that God did in, a, in us something new. My question for us is, is as follows. What did he adjust? What did he teach? What did he reveal? What did he tweak? What did he change? God did something new. This is that wineskin moment where God's poured out new wine on our lives. If his job is the wine, then our job is the wineskin. God, what did you adjust? What did you reveal? I read recently, we sent an article from a friend and the article simply said, your organization is perfectly placed for the results that it currently gets. Let me say that again. Your organization is perfectly placed for the results that it currently gets. But not just your organization, friends, so is your life, so is mine. At camp and in the presence of God, God went about adjusting your life so that you might be even more beneficial for him. John 15, Jesus says, I will prune you for greater fruitfulness. Well, friend, what, what, what are you implementing? What pruning took place in our lives that we might be even more fruitful for him? And lastly, if you're taking notes, Set new goals, descend slowly, travel lightly, implement learnings, set new goals. In this critique process or this review process, the climber will start to look toward new horizons, new mountains. For us, we should too. Alex Honnell is uh, probably the greatest free climber of all time, but certainly of our generation. He free soloed, um, which means to climb without ropes. He free soloed, um, oh, I forget actually the name of the mountain, but the mo I think it's in, um, I think it's in uh, uh, Yellowstone Park. Oh, I think, it's the, no, I think it's the face, North Face logo. Anyway, whatever. And he free soloed the most, oh, uh, El Capitan, there it is. The, the most difficult vertical ascension like on the planet. Climbed it without without ropes, so just climbed it. People, like it's the most difficult mountain to climb with ropes and with all the equipment that you need. He did it by himself without ropes. When he did it, he actually got to the top, and this is crazy to think. If you were sitting at the top of that peak, looking out over the valley, and a guy climbs it, and then gets to the top and walks up without ropes, he like would climb up and then, you know, kind of like, hey, how's it going? It would just, you would just be thinking, how did he get there? Did he fly? Like it would just be the most bizarre thing. In, the, in Free Solo, the, 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 the documentary about him, about Alex climbing this peak, he gets to the top and he starts talking about his next goals. Come on, man. You just did the most difficult thing that anyone has ever done. But now you're talking about new goals? It's climbing culture, isn't it? You scale one peak, you look to the next. And when it comes to us, what should we do? What, what, what should we look to to expand our own horizons. What's next for us? There's a phrase that I use 
in reference to how I schedule my year and my days and my weeks. And it's based on this business principle about how to, how to get as many rocks into a bathtub as possible. And the way that you do that is you put the big rocks in first, then the medium rocks, and then the small rocks, then you fill the gaps with sand. What you don't want to do is put the sand in first and the small rocks and the medium rocks because you've got no room for the big rocks. Well, you start with the big rocks. And in my calendar, I always try and figure out in my year, what are the big rocks that I want to cement in the next 12 months, in the next six months, in the next three months that I want to do and achieve and see and reach in order for my year to be successful? I lock in vacations, big events, then I go from there. As a family, certainly in our marriage, we try and do four things per year that refresh us. Try and do four things that are cool, a music festival, a little vacation, a little, little trip, a little overnighter, four things that we look forward to in the calendar. But in the list of big rocks, let me encourage you today. Make sure you lock in encounter environments in your calendar. That if you're going to implement new learnings and set new goals, let's make sure that, that you and me are the kind of people that go, cool, when's next camp? When's Kindred Conference? When am I going to go away and retreat? I'm thinking about my next trip to the monastery. My, I turn 40 November next year. Maddie's like, what do, you want to do, what do you want to do for your 40th? It's a big party. I was like, nah, I just want to go to the monastery and wake up on my 40th birthday with the monks because I think it's a really significant day, significant moment, significant birthday, and I want to be in a place of spirituality. She's like rolling her eyes, like whatever. Nah, let, you know, come on. You do what you want to do, but you know, we should celebrate it with everybody. But I'm thinking ahead. I'm looking ahead. What are the new goals? Let's not, in our world where we work hard for vacation, let's actually just like park that expectation and that definition of success for a moment and start to look at it differently and say, okay, God, when am I putting aside moments in time to meet with you? When am I putting aside moments in time to get away to refresh my soul? Retreat moments, encounter moments, mountaintop moments. You can't live at altitude for fear of altitude sickness. Most deaths are on the way down. But when you get back down to sea level, like a regular human being, and you live your normal life, when are you going to climb again? When are you setting new goals to climb that new mountain and meet with God afresh? Friend, maybe you're here today and watching online, part of our church, and this has been great. And maybe, friend, you weren't at camp and aware of the fact that there are many of us part of the online campus in different parts of Canada, all over the world, that weren't at our physical location camp. We want to make sure that the sessions, the MP3s are available so that you can be a part of that, maybe on podcasts, on YouTube. But I understand that there are many here who are maybe new to the experience, weren't at the camp, but trying to figure out where do I fit in this space. Well, friend, I'm so glad that you're here. I'm glad that you've taken aside time today to listen to the message, to engage in worship, to be a part of our church, even outside of our physical locations. And if you're here today, you're saying, Levi, that's me. Like, it's all good, man. But like, I'm not walking with God. I'm not right with Jesus. I don't know where me and God are at. I would love to pray a very simple prayer with you this morning and then hand back to our hosts. So if that's you, pray this prayer with me. It goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you. I need you in my life. I ask you, forgive me of my sin. And I thank you that you do. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. Amen giving you a huge round of applause today. Love you so much. I'll see you next week.